Okay, we have some Bible readings and I have some people coming to help. Thank you, Judy. Thank you, Blair. We have two readings from the book of 2 Corinthians. And then Wayne's going to bring a teaching. So open up your Bible if you want to follow along. 2 Corinthians 8. Thank you, Judy. Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. So we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. I am not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. You know that the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Here is my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give, and you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. Right now, you have plenty and can help those who are in need. Later, they will have plenty and can share with you when you need it. In this way, things will be equal. As the scriptures say, those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had enough. Second Corinthians nine six to fifteen. Remember this: a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And then... And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for this gift, too wonderful for words. Thanks, Wayne. I want to take uh, some time this morning to share some thoughts around the theme of grace-fueled obedience being the best way to live. Grace-fueled obedience being the best way to live. See, obedience that's not fueled by grace doesn't produce the character of Christ in us. And so that we begin with the place of God's already taken the initiative and my obedience is the second, my obedience is my response to his grace. Uh, I obey God because he loves me and he chose me to be in him eternally. And so my heart overflows with gratitude because I actually know 
who I am in the core of my being and yet God has chosen to love me and lavish his love on me and says I want you to be with me forever and I'll transform you I'll take you as you are so and this is the picture of grace and so grace-fueled obedience is something that is that is the best way to live it's true for an individual it's true for a family when a whole family lives grace-fueled obedience that family has a life and a power in its relationships that you can't find anywhere else when you have a whole congregation a local church living that way it's transformative if you would have a whole neighborhood living grace-fueled obedience that would be remarkable and a city and a nation and the world would be totally transformed would transform every culture and every ethnicity life is most meaningful and satisfying when we live from grace fueled obedience to god paul is writing his letters to the corinthians and um I want us to have a couple of moments to look at the cultural context. And I originally wrote these words. I said, uh, a cultural context that's very different to our own here in Australia. It's a culture full of myths and mysticism and the worship of many gods. And then I thought, hang on a minute. That's going on right here. That's not something that's happening far away, even though... When Paul was writing, it's a couple of thousand years ago, but if you actually really look around in our culture today, it's chock full of myths and mysticism and idolatry in all sorts of different ways. And one of the idols in our culture and one of the idols that's prevalent in this region is the G idol, the green-eyed greedy monster idol green-eyed envy greed 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 one of the things if when you look at jesus jesus said to his disciples watch out actually it's a it's a parable it's a story when a man comes and says to jesus uh divide tell my brother to divide the the family estate equitably amongst us and there's a little conversation that takes place but one of the key sentences that jesus speaks he says be on your guard against every form of greed for a person's life does not consist in their possessions be on your guard against every form of greed greed and idolatry it occurs consistently in paul's letters and so this warning against that and so what how do you defeat greed you defeat greed with generosity you overcome the idol of greed in your own heart by being generous by giving away what the idol tells you oh no keep that for yourself you need you need that you will need that don't give that away you need that stuff you need that money for you what about if you run out of money what about if you don't have enough keep it keep it keep it don't give it give it give it don't obey jesus often not quite as blatant as that it's it's don't often the idols and often say don't obey jesus because that'd be you'd get that right you'd go well hang on a minute no i'm supposed to obey jesus because i'm following him so in corinth there is a group of people who've become disciples of jesus of nazareth the jewish messiah and savior of the world that is an amazing sentence in and of itself there is a group of people in a greco-roman colony that have become followers of a crucified resurrected jewish messiah from israel that is that's a stunning statement in of itself when you understand the cultural context and now they're receiving a letter it's the second letter from a jewish rabbi and the apostle paul that's one and the same person in case you don't pick that up Paul is a Jewish rabbi and he is an apostle and emissary sent by the Lord to the Gentiles to those who who are non-Jews and Paul is writing his second letter to this group of people 
to encourage them to remain faithful to Jesus and teach them to obey everything Jesus commanded. This is the core essence of discipleship. It is obeying Jesus. If I'm not obeying Jesus, I'm not a disciple. Parents, it is your primary responsibility to disciple your children. You cannot delegate that to a school, to a youth group, to a church. You cannot delegate that. Parents, it is your primary responsibility. And one of the great things about being part of a church, not your life church, is that there is a whole ton of parents in this church that are seeking to disciple and their children and run with other parents who want to do the same thing as well. So obeying Jesus is the proof that we are his disciples. It is the proof that we are Christians. So we had those portions of Paul's letter read to us a few minutes ago. If you've got your Bible still open, keep it open to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you've closed it up or turned it off or put it on silent or something, open it up to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1. We're not going to work through all of the verses, but there's some I want us to particularly highlight. Paul begins by saying to the ones in Corinth, he wants them to know what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. That's a, that is such a powerful statement. Paul wants them who are in Corinth to know what God in God's kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. Macedonia is an area to the north of Corinth. It's a large area. It's like several states over. It'd be, imagine if we lived here in, well, we do live here, so you don't need to imagine that. But, uh, and, and it's 2,000 years ago, so think of what kind of communication methods and transport is available to you. And, and we got a letter from the Apostle Paul that said, I want you to know what God in his kindness has done in the churches in North Queensland. That's the kind of imagery you need to have in our mind. Now, you can look up maps of Corinth and Macedonia online. But I love this thing. Paul wants him to know what God, in God's kindness, has done through the churches in Macedonia. This tells us something very important, that the kindness of God is revealed through the people of God. How do we know that God is kind? How do we know that God is love? We read that in the Bible, but it is fleshed out in relationship. The word has to become flesh. Now we think of, you might probably think of, well, Jesus is the Word made flesh. Yes, of course he's the Word made flesh, and I'm not taking anything away from that. But what I am saying is we're called to be the flesh of the Word today. You are that. You are the enfleshment of the Word of God. You are the enfleshment of God is love. You are the enfleshment of the kindness of God through the church. That's how it works. It's not some vague thing. So when you are harsh with someone, people will sometimes think God is harsh with them. When you speak shortly and abruptly with people, as we are all want and able to do from time to time, it can be misinterpreted as that's what God is saying. Particularly when you're a person in authority, such as myself, or if you're a parent, you have authority, all those kinds of things take place, or teachers, all of those things happen. So, Paul says they're being tested by many troubles and they're very poor. Now, some of you have seen what we, would, what we now refer to as uh, third world poverty or developing world poverty. That's the kind of abject poverty that's being described here in Macedonia that he is talking about. He's not talking about poor and receiving Centrelink benefits. That's... That, excuse me, that's not real poor. That is poor in our culture, so I'm not diminishing that and I don't want that to be taken away. But we live in a culture where the Bible has been so formative of our culture that we now have a social welfare system based on the teaching of Scripture, which the Scripture is being pushed away, but we want the social welfare system that says the poor should be taken care of amongst us. And we do that. And we do it fairly well. But that's not the kind of poverty that Paul is talking about when he speaks of the poverty of the Macedonians. But listen to what he says, or look at what he says. He said, they're being tested by many troubles. 
and they are very poor. Now, he doesn't tell us the details about that. But look, look at what he goes on and says about them. But in the middle of that, being tested by many troubles, being very poor, they're filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. So these people who have got nothing, who are abject poverty, they're pressed and got troubles. Out of that, they're filled with abundant joy, which is overflowing in a rich generosity. It's a staggering statement to receive generosity from people who literally have nothing. I've been in cultural contexts where I've gone into people's homes in other countries and received overflowing generosity. But they've gone around to their neighbours to borrow things to cook because they were having guests. I don't know when the last time you went around, knocked on your neighbour's doors and said, I've got guests coming. Can you give me, give me a couple of eggs, a bit of sugar, a bit of flour, whatever you were going to do, you know. But that's what these people have done. And they serve this up to you with joy. They treat you as an honoured guest. They're so honoured to have you in your house. It's unbelievably humbling. You eat this humble food. Look, from the very beginning of New Life Church, which, as you know, we celebrated 25 years last, last weekend, Julie and I believe that New Life Church should amaze people. Now, we think that about every local congregation, that it should amaze people, both the people in it and the people around about it. And, and the phrase that I've said over and over again is that people ought to look and see what's happening among us and through us and it should not be able to be explained except for God. The only explanation is God. You should look and see what's being done and go, we can't, we can't understand how that's happening. Like we understand they've got processes and systems and this and that and the other, but there's far more going on there. What do you call it? They're, they're hitting well above their weight. Is that the phrase? Punching, punching above their... Punching, punching... We're punching above our weight class, so to speak, right? Because that's what I think the church is meant to be. It's meant to be this people who the presence of God is among them, transforming them and doing things that far exceed natural causes. We've continued to ask, as we did in our sacred assembly, I think it was Atonement Sunday, to say, God, define us again by your presence. And so I would like Rabbi Paul to write this to the churches in other places. I want you to know what God in his kindness has done through New Life Church Fremantle. They are filled with abundant joy which has overflowed in rich generosity. They gave not only what they could afford, but far more, and they did it of their own free will. Their first action was to give themselves to the Lord. You see, that's the response to grace. In verse 9, Paul, goes, Paul says, Because they knew the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, how rich was Jesus? Immeasurable, good word. Immeasurable, when you have created the heavens and the earth, how rich are you? You know, he owns all the iron ore, all the nickel, all the gold, all the di- like he put it all here. He buried it on the earth. Like he owned, he, he took a bit, he's like, I've got a storehouse here, an eternal storehouse in heaven. I'll just take a bit of that stuff and I'll just bury it under this dirt and call it earth and they'll find it and dig it up and enjoy it. That's how rich he is. So He was so rich, but for your sakes he became poor. Humbled himself. Paul talks about that in Philippians 2. So that by his poverty he could make them rich. Jesus became poor so that we could become rich. 
not necessarily, you know, a multi-trillionaire, not that kind of thing, but rich in him. The riches of his glorious inheritance, that we would inherit that, that we would receive all that's his, is what the language of the scriptures talks about. So what Paul is writing here to the Corinthians is what I'm calling grace-fueled obedience. Because he is saying that this happened because they understood that God had given himself, God had made himself poor so that he could make himself rich. So when we understand that, it becomes grace-fueled obedience. Our obedience flows from that place of I understand that it is I have experienced in the core of my being what it's like to be found wanting to be found needy, to be found broken, and to find in my helplessness the mercy of God lavished upon me and the delight of God extended to me. That while I was at my worst, Christ died for me. When I've understood that, when I've understood the words of Jesus that I am, I prefer darkness to the light. When I, when I agree with the prophecy from Jeremiah that my heart is deceitful, it deceives me. It is wicked above all things. When I've come to that place of this is true about me, and then I look at the cross and I see the crucified God, my heart moves. It ought to move. And go, if you did that for me, how can I withhold obedience? How can I not respond? Because I understand the magnitude of the gift that I've received called grace. If New Life Church is amazing, it's because we are living lives of obedience to Jesus' commands as a result of experiencing his amazing grace. Generosity, I believe, is a defining characteristic of grace fueled obedience to Jesus I believe it is you can't not when you understand that what the ridiculous price that God paid for you ridiculous in the sense of his blood God's blood that's what it cost there's a song about I'll never I'll never know how much it cost now it's, that's true in the sense of I don't think I'll fully appreciate the price that was paid for me but I know what the dollar sign was, if in essence, it was the blood of the Son of God. That's what it cost. That was the price tag. But it's so far beyond anything that I could comprehend and put a figure on. I, I can sometimes, I, I'll never appreciate the price that he paid for me, the price that he paid for you. But all I can do is offer myself in obedient worship back to him to say thank you. And so generosity does become, it ought to be a defining characteristic of every local congregation, every single church. Last Sunday we received our harvest offering and you all know that. And as is the typical thing that happens, the amount is counted at the back and then the piece of paper is given to me, it's folded piece of paper, it's handed to me after I finish teaching, I have to have a look at it. Every year I open it with a sense of nervous anticipation because I don't know what's written on it. I don't know if you've ever had something like that happen for you. Yeah, It's like, what am I go- I'm opening this, what am I going to find? You know, someone's handed me a piece of paper. Is it going to be good news? Not so good news? Something else? Don't know. So, but when I opened it last Sunday, as in previous years, the amount given exceeded expectations. And the amount's been read, read, uh, announced to you already this morning that we had a goal of 106,000 and we have received to date collectively 176,000. Did you look around and wonder where it all came from? Did you give thanks to God? Did you say, the only explanation is God? The only explanation is God. I think in the heart of every human being is is a desire to live a life of greatness, meaning, satisfaction, 
something, a life that's deeply satisfying and also a life that has a positive impact on the world. Grace-fueled obedience to God will give your life meaning and satisfaction and greatness beyond what you can imagine. One of the readings that was read to us, if you look at uh, 2 Corinthians 9 and 9 verse 9, and it, it's got this amazing statement where Paul, in his encouragement to the Corinthians, he says, as the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. Wow. In other words, these things done out of a graceful response and obedience to God, when we bring this to the Lord, this is remembered forever. And the Lord rewards us. But to grow in generosity requires a couple of things. And it requires a willingness, and I've used this phrase before, to live dangerously for Jesus. Not stupidly for Jesus. Well, you young adults and teenagers, don't be thinking I'm telling you to go do crazy things. I'm not. I'm saying go Matthew 25. Right? Matthew 25 is that beautiful parable where you are entrusted with the king's resources to steward and you're given an amount according to your abilities and there's an accounting for that. But the thing is that the ones that one guy got five, one guy got three, one guy got one. But the point is that the ones that went and took their five and multiplied and got five more, they had to risk losing everything. The one that had three, he had to risk losing everything. And they did it and they multiplied it. The one that had one failed to risk losing that. He failed to live dangerously for Jesus and he buried it in the ground and it did not end well for him. If you want to read more, go on. So that's what I say. When I say live dangerously for Jesus, it's like, God, I'm going to, uh, you have given me this and I'm stewarding it for you and I want it to do, I want to live obedience to you. So I'm going to risk this for you. Now, one of the things that Julie and I do regularly is to renew our commitment to be generous. We made an initial commitment when we got married 38 years ago that we would be a generous family and we keep on asking God to help us and grow us in generosity. And we are aging and we're not looking at trying to slow down. We're not looking at, at um, you know, where well, we've done our bit and it's time for others to rise up. It's true, we've done our bit and it's time for others to rise up. Yes, come on, step up. But we're, we're still pressing on. We still, we still got plenty of gas in the tank, so to speak. Um, you know, we started, when we started New Life Church in 1997, we set this church on a course to practice generosity. We embedded it into the very foundations of this church. And in 25 years, New Life Church has given away hundreds of thousands of dollars. We have records of it, of what, what has been given away from this church. It's a staggering figure. We have given generously out of what we had, not what we didn't have. We did not wait until God blessed us with the lotto life. We didn't wait till our numbers came up. And, the, and, he, and there was a money, there was a huge check of millions of dollars put into the offering one week. And we went, wow, now we can start to be generous. We started to be generous from the very get-go. From the very beginning, we started to give away from ourselves as a church. Generously, what we had. It was always do the best with what you have, not with what you haven't got. That's a key thing. Don't ever wait to start to be generous and don't start, don't be going, well, when I'm the CEO, when I'm this or that or the other, and when I go this. No, generosity is a heart attitude. You start now. It begins and ends in your heart. If it's not in your heart, it won't be in your wallet or anywhere else. For many years, we wrapped people's Christmas shopping for free right in the center of uh, what used to be called King's Court, it's now called Wally Up something court. I think I've got that right. Forgive me if I haven't, please. I will work on that. We cleaned public toilets, petrol stations and the like, for free. We cleaned windscreens in car parks. We just went around car parks, just cleaned people's windscreens for them. Left a little note, bless you, 
20 years ago, when the Sari Club was bombed in Bali, New Life Church purchased a pallet, 1,440 bottles of water to be sent to help. We paid for them. For more than 10 years, we purchased groceries and made thousands of hampers over those years, Christmas hampers for local churches and charities to distribute. Some of you know all this history. Some of you are hearing it for the very first time. Generosity flows from a heart that has experienced the grace of God. As people who live in the grace of God, how can generosity not flow out of us? And Jesus said in Luke 7, he's having dinner at someone's house and a woman comes in who we over him and he speaks these words to the guy that's judging her he says the one who is forgiven much loves much so my question for you right now are you grateful for the grace of God given to you in Christ are you realized how desperate you were how broken you were from God's perspective not from necessarily from a human perspective, but from God's perspective, that you had nothing good in you to offer God, but that he reached for you, just as he reached for me. That is amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And that grace only becomes amazing when we realise how great our sin, our rebellion and our indifference against God is, and that while we were at our worst, Jesus Christ suffered and died for us because he wanted us in his eternal family. So, a few quick thoughts. How did New Life Church become a generous church? I'm going to suggest there are three primary reasons New Life has become a generous church, and known for its generosity, and, and where people are amazed at the generosity of New Life Church. Number one, Julian and I set generosity as a foundational practice of New Life Church and we give generously ourselves. There is a leadership truth that says, as the leaders go, so go the people. And I feel a sense of caution in my spirit this morning to say to us as a people, because there will come a day when Julie and I are not here. We will have graduated into the presence of the Lord. We don't expect this graduation to happen soon. But it will, unless Jesus comes first. It's important to understand that generosity has to be carried by the lead pastor and the leadership group. The generosity of New Life Church will rapidly decline if the leaders at the top fail themselves to live generously and give generously. And I do feel like that's an important warning. So the reason, number one, that New Life has become a generous church is because it has been the habit of the church and the lead pastors to give generously and we've done that in lots and lots of ways and we do that continue we continue to do that even in the simplicity of a, of generosity to guest speakers number 2 is that Julie and I have discipled you in generosity from the scriptures We've taught you to organize your finances God's way. That's what we called it for many years, doing money God's way. I kept beating that drum. I still keep beating it, right? So how does it go? To rumor? How much is that? About 2.5%. Take off. That's your first fruits. Now, I've got more detailed teaching on this, but I'm not going into it this morning. So if you want to know. So to rumor, then you take... So Take first two and a half percent off. That's your first fruits. You set that aside to give to the Lord. Then you take ten percent. That's your first tithe, and you add that to your to your teruma, and you give that to God's workforce. I called it the workers. So you give it into the local church, and then you have a, and then your next you have another tithe, the second tithe after that one, which is a tithe for your savings. 
It's important to, to save. And you can even tithe off the savings into God's workforce as well, into the purposes of God. And then you have a third tithe, which is for the poor and compassion and mission. And many people bring that, some give it consistently through the year and some people stockpile it and they bring it in our annual harvest offering for the poor. So we've got that structure and we've discipled you in that and then we've said after those tithes you bring offerings for the buildings which are separate and offerings for things like the harvest offering and then you live off the rest. Now what that does when you organise your finances God's way is it puts a beautiful restraint around your appetite. It puts a beautiful restraint of delivering you from greed. Because it confronts your greed because you're thinking, well, heck, two, what, two and a half? Plus another ten? Plus this? Plus... How much am I left with? Well, if you, some of you are following along at home, it's around 16%. So you mean, I could live off 84% after tax? Or before tax? Whew. Wow, now we're scaring. We even have a spreadsheet available for you to calculate this on request so so you can work it out at home we'll send you the your email info and we'll send you the spreadsheet so you can work it all out see this issue of discipleship i am if my finances are not discipled i will not grow as a disciple and i will be i will like they'll actually open myself up for a measure of deception If I haven't got my finances in line with the biblical pattern, I am not a disciple and there's a problem in my heart because I'm not submitting to the Lord. Now look, some people, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, some people's finances are chaotically disorganised and nowhere close to what the pattern that we see in Scripture. And so I always say pastorally to people as I'm saying to any of you if your finances are like that just begin to get them in order and slowly move if your borrowings are way beyond this kind of capacity you need to work all that through so there's a process that you can go through but the important thing is first of all set your heart so God okay we're going to do this Lord so we're going to go get help get our finances organised, do whatever we need to do to bring it into order and we're going to step towards this. It's too far to go, we, can, we, we can't do that in one hit. And thirdly, the third reason is that God's grace is propelling many of us to live generous lives. God's grace. All come, it all really starts and ends with there. So... Three reasons that New Life is a generous church is that it's been a habit of the lead pastors and it's been a habit that's been built into the budgeting system of the church. Secondly, people are being discipled into generosity and thirdly, many of you are living grace-fueled, obedient lives. It really is the best way to live. So here's a question I want you to think about. Think about grace-fueled obedience to Jesus. What would your life be like if you started to obey everything Jesus commanded? I mean everything. You go through, go through, find a Bible with red letters, not black letters, red letters. Make a list of all the things that Jesus commands us to do and start to do that. Just go through it and just go, okay, and it starts in the heart again because it's a response. I'm responding to grace, I'm going to do this. Think about what your family would look like. If every member of your family started to obey everything Jesus commanded. You might be thinking, well, that's that's a big gap. That's a big gap, Wayne. Can't do that. I I think someone once... uh, These figures might not be accurate, but just bear with me. They're close. So between uh, the books of Genesis and Malachi, there's about... 613 laws someone went through and codified them 613 laws in the old testament many christians go we don't have to do any of those because we're in the new covenant they're irrelevant to us which is a lie in itself there are some that are and some that aren't right 
So it's like, okay, let's just stick with the New Testament ones then, of which I believe there are about 2,000. 2,000 commands, things we're told to put off, put on, get rid of, throw this away, put that to death, do this. So it's like, I'm okay with whichever, whichever way you want to go, right? Just do it, is my question. The question is, are you obeying Jesus? That's my question, right? If you started to obey Jesus, what would it look like? But what about if you simply stopped avoiding the things you know you should do? Because there are things that we all know we should do, and tithing is one of them. But what if we actually stopped not tithing and started tithing? Or what about a bunch of other things? What about if we actually began to initiate those, those awkward things that are hard to talk about? Because there's sort of a lot of emotion tied to them and risky to talk about. We call them crucial conversations or awkward conversations. You can learn skills in this. You can learn skills of how to have those kind of conversations with people in the body of Christ and outside the body of Christ that really matter. I just want to close by sharing with you that at the beginning of the sacred assembly, I had to initiate an awkward conversation with someone who I didn't know very well and they're outside of our church and I was anxious about how they would respond. The stakes were pretty high. But I knew I could not, not do it. And so, out of a heart motivated by grace for them and for the others involved, I gently spoke to them of their need to repent and be reconciled to others. I didn't know what was going to happen next. I was so relieved when they thanked me for raising it with them. And they agreed to humble themselves and apologize and ask for forgiveness. And there's a bit more communication that went on backwards and forwards. And this week, that process took a step forward when I spoke with the other people who were involved in this situation and I passed on to them a sincere written apology and request for their forgiveness. Tears were shed. Hearts were mended. And God was honoured. And I was driving home that day and I just thought, obeying Jesus is the best way to live. Grace-fueled obedience is the best way to live. Life's so much better when people obey God. My life is always better when I obey God. And your life will always be better when you obey God. So I want to wrap up with some questions and we're going to close. So my first question is this. Have you said yes to the grace of God? That's where everything starts. It's saying, yes, God, I understand. I need your grace. I want your grace. Because that's where Paul begins. He said, the first thing the Macedonians did was to give themselves to the Lord. So have you given yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, that's not an event. It's a daily choice. I was thinking about this during the week and I think, well, I know when I gave my life for the very first time to Christ, it was when I was nine years old. And it's 50 years later that I'm standing in front of you. Some of you will do the math on that. But I'm not relying on the fact that I gave my life to Jesus 50 years ago. It's that I gave it to him this morning. As I said, my life's not my own. It belongs to you, Lord, to do with what you want. So giving our lives to Jesus, there's always a first time, but then it's a re on repeat on a daily basis to give myself to the Lord, to say, I belong to you, Lord. Help me live for you today. Help me love you today. Help me love people today. 
And then the second, so first question is, have you said yes to the grace of God? Second question is, are you living a grace-fueled life of obedience to God? Out of the overflow, having, having understood, wow, God's so good, are you living in obedience to God? Like, really? And if you haven't been living in obedience to God, are you ready to begin that today? You're ready to say, okay, God, yep, I want to start living that way today. I want to start obeying you in everything. But I'll need your help. And he's always happy to help us. That's what I love about God. So many situations I go into and I go, God, I don't know what to do here. Please help me. And he always does. So he will help you to obey him. And the third thing I want to ask is, what do you need to do to grow in generosity? What do you need to do to grow in generosity? Because it's something you can grow. You can cultivate this. So here are a few ways that Julie and I continue to grow ourselves in generosity in the grace of God. We continue to open our hearts to people, whether we feel like it or not. We continue to open our home to people and we continue to open our wallets to people and to God, of course. We invite people over for meals and we deliberately include people who cannot afford to do the same for us. There have been times where we've invited people in need to live with us for different lengths of time. Julie regularly cooks meals and we deliver them to people in need. By we I mean she does all the work and sometimes I get to do the delivery and sometimes she does it as well. But she, she does do all the cooking and I can't sometimes do the delivery. So. But it's saying yes to this. It's the yes. And we give secretly to people in need. It's, you know, secret acts of generosity because nothing's hidden from his sight and we want his reward, you know. It's like he's keeping a record. He remembers forever. He doesn't forget anything. So the very end is... What will you do to grow yourself in generosity? New Life Church, we have a reputation for generosity. We cannot park here. We have to continue pursuing the grace to grow in generosity. Perhaps you didn't contribute to the harvest offering. As has been said, you can still get on board that. If you're not currently bringing your taruma and tithes into new life for the purposes of God, you can begin to do that. You can begin to open your heart and your home to others and to look for opportunity to be generous. And you can even do random things. Oh, it might be harder today, I don't know, but because I haven't done this, I confess I haven't done what I'm about to say for a while, but... Some, I happened to be at the petrol station with someone I know and I got to the checkout before they did and so I paid for my fuel and I said, and the car that's pump number, what's her name, as well. And then when they went to pay, they were told, your, your pump's already paid, mate. I didn't say anything on the way out. I didn't, See you, have a good day. Love doing stuff like that. You know, got a text message from them. Hey, thanks. You know. So... All those you can we can cultivate. That's what I'm saying. We can grow in this, but it comes from this place. It's fueled by grace, and grace-fueled living is the best way to live. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, all of this is is simply a response to you, to what you have done, to the initiative that you have taken. You're such a generous God, overwhelmingly generous. Your generosity is staggering. When we think of the cross of Christ, we think of what you did, the price you paid to redeem humanity, the sinful, rebellious lot that we are, wicked and evil, who want nothing to do with you, 
And yet you chose to lavish your love on us. It's staggering, God. That while we were your enemies, that Christ died for us. Father, my, my prayer is that by the Holy Spirit, you will take this reality of grace deeper into all of our lives today. And that we will continue to grow as a people whose obedience is fueled as a response to your grace, fueled by grace. Because we understand how much love you've lavished on us. And Father, my prayer is that you will continue to grow us. And we were asking for generational blessing, Lord. Let there, let there be a perpetual generational blessing of generosity flowing through all of us and, and through the generations that come after us, God, until you return, Jesus. That truly people will give thanks to you, God, all around the world for the generosity of New Life Church and that they'll bless your name. And New Life Church, I bless you in the name of God, the Father, Son and Spirit, to be a people who give thanks and live in the grace of God. As you go from here today, go forth into the world in peace. Be filled with courage and hold fast to what is good. Don't give anyone evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak and help the afflicted. And honour God and everyone. And ask for the love and the power of the Holy Spirit to fill you so that the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit will be among us and remain with us always. Amen.